Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind, the podcast where I count down my top 40 most rewatched movies. My name is Jane, and today I will be talking about number 35 on my list, Miramax, Producer Circle, and Storyline Entertainment's 2002 crime musical Chicago, directed by Rob Marshall, written by Bill Condon, from the stage musical book by Bob Fosse and Fred Ebb, which was based on a play by Maureen Dallas Watkins, and starring Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Richard Gere. Set in the roaring 1920s, Chicago tells the story of wannabe star Roxy Hart, Renee Zellweger, who shoots and kills her lover Fred Casely, Dominic West, when she finds out he has lied to her about his show business connections. In jail, Roxy encounters the famous Velma Kelly, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who allegedly murdered her husband and sister when she found them having an affair. Both plan to be represented by lawyer Billy Flynn, Richard Gere, whose strategy involves turning criminals into celebrities so they'll be acquitted, which leads Roxy and Velma to compete for the spotlight. I think this was either the first or second PG-13 movie I ever saw. My mom took me to see it in a theater in early 2003, a couple of months before I turned 13, which was kind of surprising because my parents were pretty strict about what I was allowed to see. I don't actually remember why she agreed to take me to see it. What I do recall is that one of my best friends at the time was obsessed with this movie, so I'd already listened to the soundtrack multiple times at her house, although we mostly just listened to Cell Block Tango on repeat, so I thought the movie was going to be about those six murderers, and was surprised to learn that five of them are barely in the rest of it. I remember really liking the song, and also feeling slightly rebellious listening to it because it had the word ass in it, although we usually quickly turned the volume on the CD player way down at that part. We weren't that rebellious. The movie was a lot more raunchy than I was used to, which made me a bit uncomfortable, but overall I liked it. There were several things about it that fascinated me, so I kept returning to it. I ended up seeing it twice in 2003, twice in 2004, three times in 2005, once in 2006, twice in 2009, once in 2011, once in 2014, once in 2018, once in 2021, and once in 2022. If I recall correctly, we had it on VHS, but then our VCR broke with the tape inside, so we didn't have it for a while, and then we bought a DVD copy later, so I think that explains the gap between 2006 and 2009, but I could be misremembering. I've never seen the stage musical, but I absolutely love the way the movie handles the songs. Apart from a few actual performances, the musical numbers mainly exist in Roxy's imagination. She wants to be on the stage so badly that she turns everything that happens to her into a production. The editing between drab reality and glamorous fiction is so well done and makes for a fascinating watch. I'm sure the stage version is great, I mean, the revival has been on Broadway since 1996, making it the second longest-running Broadway show of all time, but I know that practically a stage show could not switch back and forth that quickly. Often when plays are adapted to the screen, the movie still feels a lot like a stage show, just with close-ups and maybe a few extra locations. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I love it when the screen adaptation adds things that couldn't be done live, and Chicago is one of my favorite examples of that. The way the cell block tango keeps switching between jail life and intense dancing, the way the press conference turns into a marionette show and back again and we both reach for the gun, the way Billy's dance moves in All I Care About Is Love flawlessly transition into his actual actions as he proves the song completely wrong. All of these and more are amazing and could only be done on screen. 
So if I had to point to one single reason why I keep rewatching this movie, it's definitely the editing of the musical numbers. A close second is the performances. Big movie musicals have a strange tendency to feature famous movie stars who can't actually sing very well. Back in the day, they got around this by dubbing the singing, and then often not giving the actual singers credit, although the truth usually came out eventually. I see you, Marnie Nixon. More recently, they just kind of let the actors sing badly. But in the early 2000s, there was a brief period when Hollywood made musicals featuring stars who weren't necessarily particularly known for singing, but still could actually sing, and thank goodness that happened here. The singing is excellent, the dancing is awesome, and the acting is phenomenal. Four of the actors, Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Queen Latifah, who plays Mama Morton, the matron of the jail, and John C. Riley, who plays Roxy's simple, devoted husband Amos, were nominated for Oscars. Only Zeta-Jones won, and I mean, I think they all did a fabulous job, but if only one could win, it would have been wrong if it wasn't her. She perfectly conveys Velma's strength and confidence with just the right hints of vulnerability to truly make the character work. But that's not to say that other performances weren't deserving of recognition as well. Renee Zellweger does an awesome job of differentiating between the real Roxy fumbling around trying to figure out how to handle reality and the confident performer she is in her imagination. And while I normally don't like movies about people who hate each other, Zeta Jones and Zellweger make Velma and Roxy's fighting fun to watch. Similarly, Billy Flynn is a fairly despicable character, but Richard Gere is also very fun to watch. Queen Latifah nails Mama Morton's corruption while still keeping her likable. John C. Riley's Amos is exactly as pitiful as he should be. And the rest of the supporting cast is incredible as well. Shout out to Tay Diggs as the band leader, all the ridiculously talented dancers, and of course, the always fabulous Christine Baranski, who is an absolute delight as Mary Sunshine the reporter. Truly an excellent cast, and appropriately for a movie about murder, they all killed it. Chicago was nominated for a total of 13 Oscars, winning six. In addition to Catherine Zeta-Jones' supporting actress win, it also won Best Picture, Editing, Art Direction, Costume Design, and Sound. I'm especially glad the editing was recognized, and the art direction, costume design, and sound worked together with the editing to create that reality versus imagination effect, so I also think those were award-worthy. And my 2011 viewing of this movie was part of my watch-through of all the Best Picture winners. Around that time, I recall stumbling upon a list that someone had made of the most undeserving Best Picture wins, and I can't even remember if it was from some sort of official film critic publication or if it was just some random person on the internet, but it put Chicago at number one, which irritated me so much that I'm still annoyed about it 12 years later. I mean, it is probably true that, like many Miramax films from that era, Chicago won more Oscars than it would have without the campaigning of executive producer and now-convicted criminal Harvey Weinstein, which is upsetting. But there are some Best Picture winners that I found to be barely watchable, and I cannot believe that they deserve the Oscar more than this engrossing, well-told story. So to whoever made that list, you're wrong. If you've listened to my previous episodes, you may have noticed that when I talk about being arrow-ace, I tend to focus more on the aromantic side of that than the asexual side. That's mostly because romantic content, at least straight romantic content, 
is considered appropriate for all audiences, while sexual content is not, so romance is a lot harder to avoid. In general, if you stick to movies made during the Hays Code era from the mid-1930s through the mid-1960s, and movies made after that which are rated G or PG, there might be some innuendo or implied sexual behavior taking place off-screen, but there's not going to be any actual sexual content, whereas there probably will be romantic content. And since sex and romance are often related, movies that have sexual content are almost certain to also have romantic content. Chicago is rather unusual in that it has sex, but very little romance. Roxy uses sex to get what she wants, or at least she tries to, it doesn't really work out most of the time, but we never really see her or any other character falling in love. Most of the musical numbers feature rather provocative dances and revealing costumes, which isn't exactly explicit sexual content, but I think could be described as sexy. One of the ways I figured out I was asexual was by realizing that I don't quite understand what words like provocative or sexy really mean. Like, I kind of get what fits those descriptions, but do people actually see someone of a gender they're attracted to, scantily clad, and dancing in a certain way, and actually want to sleep with them because of it? Is that a thing? Before I understood that I was asexual, I kind of thought everyone was just going along with the idea of what made someone hot or attractive, and I still find it hard to wrap my head around the concept of actually feeling that attraction. So I guess the dances in Chicago are meant to turn people on, but ultimately they're just performers doing their routine. And the main sex scene in the movie, when Roxy hooks up with Fred for the first time, is intercut with Velma's performance of And All That Jazz right after she killed her husband and sister. Roxy is only sleeping with Fred because she thinks he can help her get into show business, which he lied about to get her into bed, so they're both putting on an act, just like Velma is, both on stage and in her real life by pretending she hasn't just committed a double homicide. The whole movie is about obscuring the truth with facades and performances, and the sex is very much a part of that. So, as an asexual person, I find Chicago to be one of the least confusing movies that contain sexual content, because the sex and sexiness is intentionally contrived. Since I don't experience it myself, to a certain extent, sexual attraction has always seemed fake to me. In this movie, it's supposed to seem fake. In short, a probably unintended side effect of the themes of this movie is that Chicago portrays sex as performative in a way that is consistent with my asexual brain's inability to comprehend sexual attraction, so that might explain why I enjoy it more than most movies that contain sexual content. One last aspect of this movie I want to highlight is that it points out some of the glaring flaws in the U.S. legal system. I know it's specifically about 1920s Chicago, which was notoriously corrupt, but anyone who thinks that justice is blind anywhere in 2020s America must be living under a rock. Chicago straight up says, It doesn't matter if you're guilty or innocent, it matters how much money you have, what you look like, and how the public perceives you. Admittedly, it doesn't really address the problem of racism, but the only prisoner who seems to be innocent is a Hungarian immigrant who speaks very little English, and she's the only one we know of who gets executed. It's both a compelling argument for abolishing the death penalty, far too many innocent people are killed by the state, and a demonstration of why it's not being abolished, the wrongfully executed tend to be people our society deems less than. This message kind of gets buried by the main story, and I feel like it's easier to miss than it should be, but I appreciate that it's there. And while it's painful and upsetting to see that very little has changed in a hundred years, 
In a way, this movie can now serve as a reminder that at least occasionally, powerful and famous people who commit heinous crimes do get convicted and sent to prison. Well, this episode got a little spicy. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe or follow for more analysis of my most rewatched movies, and leave a rating or review to let me know how you've been enjoying it so far. The next episode will be about the final and longest movie I watched 15 times in 20 years, which is another Best Picture winning musical. By the way, if you like musicals and learning about them, I highly recommend supporting Ashley Clements' Patreon at the $15 level for episodes of her Patreon-exclusive show Broadway Before and Beyond. This is not a sponsorship or anything, just a genuine recommendation. Every month, she posts an episode focusing on a specific era or year or particularly impactful show, and I've been learning so much about the history of musical theater. There's also a monthly watch party related to that month's episode, and my 2022 viewing of Chicago was one of those, so Ashley is partly to thank for this movie making it into my top 40. Anyway, my next episode will feature the Rewatch Rewind's first ever guest appearance, and the guest is not Ashley Clements, but the guest is a fellow Ashley Clements patron. So stay tuned for that next week, and as always, I will leave you with a quote from the next movie. The poor didn't want this one. <laughs>